0: If you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to turn in with me to uh, Psalm 139. That will be our text for this morning. Psalm 139. Uh, Martin Luther King, Martin Luther King Jr. said, Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. This week we have uh, seen great darkness in our nation. We've seen great evil and great hate. And it's right for us in these moments to pause and pray. So will you please join me this morning as we pray. Father, we, we come to you this morning... And we recognize that you are a God who is sovereign over all things. We know that you have been here, uh, that there is no beginning and no end to you. That you created all things. And that you are a God of justice and you are a God of love. And we know these things to be true. We read them in your word and yet we look at the pages of our Of our newspapers, and we look at our TV screens, and we see the evil and injustice and hatred in our world, and it's baffling, and it's saddening, and it's weighty, and we come to you this morning believing all these things to be true about you, and yet asking that you will reveal yourself even more. We pray for the cities of Baton Rouge, and for St. Paul, and for Dallas, and now Houston. We pray for the families of those who have lost loved ones, both those who have been shot by police officers and police officers who have been shot. We pray for the racial injustices that are prevalent. Because, Father, we think that somehow we should be over this by now, that somehow we should have moved beyond this by now, but we haven't. And we need your help. And so we ask that you will be with those who are mourning and those who are weeping. And we ask that you will help us to weep with those who weep and to mourn with those who mourn. And that the comfort that we ourselves have received from Christ will overflow into the comfort that we are able to give others. And we pray that indeed, as we have sung, that you will build your kingdom here that you will renew, that you will restore. We know that you will one day, and we pray that you will help us to be instruments of hope, instruments of light, because darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can drive out darkness. And so will you, the true light of life, will you use your church to drive out darkness? And hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. And will you help us as your church to overflow with your love in order that hate may dissipate? Father, we come to you with heavy hearts, but we know that it is right to come to you. And so we come to you with great hope. And now as we turn to your word, we ask that you will, by your spirit, be our teacher and guide. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Psalm 139. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. Are your thoughts, God, how vast the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. If only, God, you would slay the wicked. Away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Amen. It has been my plan to preach on this psalm before I went away uh, uh, on vacation, uh, and it's still my plan to preach on this psalm, although very differently than what I had intended. My intent was to preach on this and to really focus on God's searching gaze, and that's still important. It's still here. It's still true. And yet, in the in the events that have happened over the course of these last days, I thought it important for us to spend some time reminding ourselves of the truths of who God is and the impact of of who God is on how we ought, to, on our countenance, on our attitudes, on our hearts, on our actions. So understand that these, these reflections are relatively fresh <laughs> and yet really important. Not fully refined and yet um, timely, I hope, and helpful. The, Psalm, the psalmist begins by talking about a characteristic of God. And he says, he begins by saying, essentially, you know me. You know me. What he articulates here, he says in verse 1, you searched me, Lord, and you know me. You search me. He's talking about, David is articulating a characteristic about God of who God is. And he's saying, David is saying that God is omniscient. That God knows all things that God knows everything. Everything possible. Everything actual. All events. All creatures. Everything past. Everything present. Everything future. God knows all things. God is perfectly acquainted with every detail in the life of every being that has ever been. David is articulating the, uh, the omniscience of God, that God is all-knowing. And yet, he's not doing it in some sort of theological, abstract way. He's doing it in a very personal way. He's applying this theological concept to his personal life. And he says, you know all things about all beings. Therefore, you know all things about me. You have searched me, and you know me. That's what he's expressing here. And then he goes on to flesh that out, right? He says, you know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways before a word is on my tongue, Lord. You know it completely. You hem me in behind and before. You lay your hand upon me. So he deals with this truth about this characteristic of God, that God is all-knowing, and he applies it to his personal life, and he says, you have searched me, and you know everything about me, and then he says, you have hemmed me in. This is, there's a word of comfort in this, right? That you hymn me in, you have gone before me, and you come behind me, and it, when I, I did youth ministry for a number of years in the youth facility where we would hold youth group, then there was geese that would routinely uh, come and, and mess up the parking lot. Um, but I, it, was, it was often that I would be able to see the mother goose and then the father goose and then the, the goslings, the, the baby geese, right? And the, and the mother would go before and the father would come behind and these, these baby geese were hemmed in. And that's a picture of God. He says, he goes before and he comes behind us. We are hemmed in. And he says, that you're my, He says your hand is upon me. You, it's as if he's saying, and you put your arm around me. You hem me in. You go ahead of me and you come behind me. I am hemmed in by you and you put your arm around me. You know all things. God knows all things. God knows all people. God knows all things about me and my life. And there is nothing in your life this morning that escapes the gaze of your Heavenly Father. You, you, you understand, there is nothing in your life this morning that escapes the gaze of your Heavenly Father. You don't know what to do about your financial situation. God sees, God knows. You, you say, nobody understands the stress of the relation of my, of my marriage. Nobody gets that, God gets it. He sees and He knows. Nobody understands the tensions that I have with my parents or with my friends. God sees and God knows. You feel alone and depressed, and all you want to do is eat more ice cream. God knows and He sees. You, feel, you wonder if your broken heart will ever be healed. He knows you're wondering and He hears your cry. He sees and He knows. You're walking through life surrounded by people yet feel desperately alone. He sees and knows there is nothing that goes on in your life that God doesn't know about. He knows all things and your heavenly father sees you and he knows where you are. He knows the intimate details of all of the lives of all of his created beings. The front pages of our newspaper say who is going to heal our country. God knows, God sees. Who will heal the racism and racial tension of our world and of our nation? God knows and God sees. Who will who does not anyone see and recognize the injustices that are going on in the oppressed people even in our own country? God knows and God sees. And if we are going to be biblical in our worldview this morning, then it must begin with this truth that God knows all things. God is perfectly acquainted with every detail in the life of every being. And David goes on to say, such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain, that God can know all things, that he knows all of the intimate details of each and every one of all of our lives. He always has, he does right now, he always will. David admits, he says, and I can't grasp it all. This is, this is too wonderful for me, this is too lofty for me to understand, for me to be able to grasp and for me to be able to hold on to. He's reflecting on the very nature and character of God, that God it knows all things. And that leads him to further reflection and further pondering about God's character. And he then considers God's omnipresence. Verse 12 or verse 7. Where can I go? He asks, where can I go from your presence? Or where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? He says. Where can I go? David moves from the God that God is all-knowing to his omnipresence, his omnipresence omniscience to his omnipresence that God is present everywhere all the time God is all-knowing and he is ever-present but again David doesn't just leave this in this in the theological classroom for our pondering he doesn't leave it as an intellectual exercise he says now let's apply that to our life he applies it immediately to his personal life that God is always present where can I go from your spirit it's not that he's trying to run away from God He's saying, where could one go from the very presence of God? And the answer is, nowhere. Where could we run from the very presence of God? Where could we wander that would be outside the gaze and care of the Lord? There is nowhere. And this brings comfort to the psalmist. If I go to the heavens, he said, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. Where can I go? He says, where, he, 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 he explores the boundaries as far as he can think, and he says there is nowhere that God is not present. And then in verses 11 and 12, David expresses his own fears we get to know the hardest of the heart of the psalmist even the darkness he says if if i say surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me even the darkness will not be dark to you the night will shine like the day for darkness is as light to you initially i was going to title this sermon i did title the sermon search me I think a better title for the sermon would be, "When light becomes when when light becomes night around me." When light becomes night around me, that's what he's saying. Remember, they didn't they, they, David didn't have electricity, and so their experience of darkness was so much more um, robust and so much more thick. And he says that it's as if when light becomes darkness around me, it surrounds me, it, ex- it, it envelops me. When darkness takes over, he says, then I fear that God will not see me. Then I fear that God will not notice me. That I feel that somehow I will be able to wander off because of the darkness. If I say, surely darkness will hide me and light become night around me. Has it ever been your experience that you have experienced the circumstances of your life that felt like the darkness was just closing in and you were being enveloped by the darkness? David was the king and being the king is a lonely place. He knew what it was to be overwhelmed by his circumstances. He knew what it was to see no possible way out. He knew what it was like to be hated and to have people trying to kill him. He knew... That people were always trying to use him, and that he was easily tried that they would try to easily betray him. Being the king meant to know darkness, to to be alone, to have the sense of oppression and weight that was upon his shoulders. He understood darkness. And David says, But even the night will will be like day to you, God. You surround me all the time, even when the darkness comes. You are with me all day, every day, everywhere. Here, David is allowing his theology to drive his, his attitudes. He's allowing what he knows to be true about God to drive his attitudes and his thoughts and his feelings rather than the other way around. He's allowing his theology to rule the day in his heart rather than his feelings and his emotions or the headlines that are happening around to rule the day in his heart. Because our default setting is to allow our emotions to win the day, to control our thoughts and attitudes and feelings, rather than our theology of what we know to be true about Almighty God, who always was, whoever, who always is, and always will be. Our default is to not go to the Bible, but is to go to the feelings of our day. And if our default setting is to allow what we feel to rule our hearts and attitudes in our lives, then we will find ourselves wandering around in darkness and grasping for things to hold on to. But the scriptures say, in the psalmist it says, even there in the midst of the darkness, that feels like the darkness is coming in and closing in on me. But that is light to God, and even in those places, he says, I will hold you fast. God has you. He's holding you fast in the midst of the darkness and the darkest days of your life. Even there, he's holding you fast because those days are as light to him. Because those days, those dark, that darkness is as day to him. It's not to us, but it is to him. This week, we have seen great darkness. These days, we have seen evil and violence repeated over and over again on our TV screens. And this happened in our own backyard, friends. This isn't something that is a problem for other communities. This is a problem that is a problem for every community. And this is a problem that is a problem for our community. And can I be honest with you? I'm tired. I'm I'm tired of lamenting the needless loss of life. I'm, t- I'm tired. I'm, t- I'm tempted to look at the evil and violence and darkness. I'm tempted to look at the tears and the mourning and the suffering. I'm tempted to look at the injustice and I'm tempted to allow it to lead me to despair. But we must not allow it to take us to despair. For that is to allow our feelings and our emotions to win the day of our hearts in our hearts. We must mourn without despair because while these things are shocking and surprising to us, God knows all things. And God is perfectly acquainted with every detail in the life of every believer, of every being that he has created. And God is always present. When the light has become night around. God is present. And so therefore, we must mourn, we must weep, we must, we must. But not allow it to drive us to despair. Because we allow God who, what we know to be true about who God is, that he knows all things, that he is sovereignly overseeing all things, that he will bring all things right. That he's working out all things for our good and for his glory somehow. And that he's always present in the midst of our darkness, holding us fast. We also must be present and resist indifference. Came back from our trip on uh, late Thursday night, and then on Friday had a wedding rehearsal and and playoff baseball. And then I had a wedding and two baseball games yesterday. It was a wild and crazy day for us as a family. We have church today and more baseball today if the rain holds off. It's easy to get distracted by the stuff, isn't it? Just to keep running, just to keep moving on with life, and therefore to be indifferent. We're not allowed to be indifferent. Friends, we're not allowed to be indifferent to the evil and injustices of our world. We must enter in. We must be present in our time. We we are not allowed, we we have not been given the permission to be indifferent to the things that go against the way that God has designed. We're not allowed to be indifferent, but I'm tempted to be indifferent. I'm tempted to be distracted because, because it's easier. I am a white man. Newsflash. And many people live a very different experience than I've had in my life. And I assumed, just out of being naive, I just assumed that you know people just always had the same experiences I had because you know why wouldn't they? Because we're in America, right? Not the case. I've not had to have the types of conversations that many black men who have children and sons have had to have with their kids when they start getting their driver's license. And unless I'm present and willing to engage and willing to learn, then I will never know. Like we must not be indifferent. We must be present. We must not be indifferent to the racial injustices of because Jesus was not indifferent to the brokenness of our world, but Jesus entered into time and space and he took on human flesh in order to enter into our, to be able to enter into our experience. We too, therefore, as the followers of Jesus, must enter into the experiences of others who are not like us in order that we can understand where they come from, in order that we can understand how the gospel applies to their lives and how we can help them. We have to do these things. We are not, we're not allowed to just be able to go about our indifferent ways of life. This will require us to develop relationships and friendships with people of other races, other colors, other creeds, other religions. And if we do this, then it will feel like we are wading out into deep and uncharted waters. If we really are committed to doing this, then you will feel like you are wading out into the deep without a life jacket. Do it. Do it. Because God knows all things. Because God is always present with you and he will sustain you. As Christ followers, we must expand our relational circles and be exposed to social realities of others that are not like us. As Christians, we must embrace a comprehensive understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ came to be the Lord and the Savior to conquer both individual sin and systemic sins, such as violence and racism and social inequities that are a part of our world. And as we wade into these waters, because of our love for Jesus, know that he is with you and know that he is ever present and holding you fast. But it's in trusting him and saying, I don't, I, I'm not comfortable in doing this. That's why I must do this. And I'm doing it as a step of faith and love for you, Jesus, because that's what you did for us. And the psalmist continues. He continues to move from God being all-knowing to God being ever-present to God being all-powerful um, he's, he's to his omnipotence. He says, you've made me, in verse 13. For you've created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. He says, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. David praises God, for, praises God for his omnipotence, that he is all-powerful. James Boyce says, if, if we do not understand that God is all-powerful, we do not have our right understanding of God at all. We are thinking of some other being, he says. David is not, he's not thinking about God's power in an abstract way. He's thinking about God's power in a very specific way, and that is the specific way of creating him. He's thinking about this truth in very personal terms, right? He's specifically thinking about God's power to create life, to create life. We were created by God. We, are, we were known by him before we were made, before our mothers ever knew us, before we were given a name, we were known by God. That means that all lives matter. It means that you matter because God knew you as you were being formed in your mother's womb. That, that our lives matter. That means that black lives matter. That means that every life matters. All lives really do matter. From the womb to the deathbed, they matter. Every life matters because every life carries the image of God. And when we are tempted, and I've seen it in social media, when we're tempted to just cover over some of these racial injustices that are done with all lives matter to God, and that's true. It's true. It's true. It's in the scriptures. It's true. And yet to throw that out in social media spaces as if that sort of answers the question is to put a simple Band-Aid on a very complex and difficult matters. It's a simplistic answer. It's best to deal in specifics with specific problems. A pastor in Georgia named Jason Landers wrote this. Philandro Castile's life matters. Well, it mattered, that is, until he was gunned down by police Wednesday during a traffic stop in St. Paul, Minnesota. According to Castile's girlfriend, who streamed, the mom- who streamed the moments immediately following the shooting, Castile informed officers that he was carrying a licensed concealed weapon. He was shot for obeying the officer's command to produce his license. Landers continues, Christian churches at least the ones who have not sold, out, sold themselves out in order to fit in with the culture, do a lot of good to stop abortion in this country. That's a good thing. But if we do not care as much for a 30-year-old black man as we do for a black baby in the first trimester, we are only kidding ourselves. Sure, all lives matter, but I'm afraid that some of us like to use the word all just to keep us from dealing with the individual. Philandro Castile's Life mattered. We can get away with simply talking about the baby, but we have to figure out a way to actually live with and love the adult. Philandro Castile's life mattered. Alton Sterling's life mattered. Officer Brent Thompson's life mattered. Officer Patrick Zamaripa mattered. The three other officers who were gunned down in Dallas mattered. Their lives matter. Because God knew them before they were formed. Before they were born, their lives matter. And we need to carry out, we have to have a serious conviction about the image of God and how we treat one another if we're going to make progress. And it's root No, it is the Christian who understands this and therefore it is the responsibility of the Christian to live this out in very real and tangible ways and we do this because we read it in our Bibles because we do this because we read it in our Bibles it's nice to say well don't we see nice cute babies and it's really cute and we say oh they're image bearers of God and that's nice and cute but it does get harder but it's still the the reality is still true God formed us, he knows us. We are image bearers of him. We matter. So what should, how are we to respond in the last couple of minutes? Again, this isn't the end. This isn't all the answers. It's just reflections, my reflections for us to give consideration to. This ought to humble us that God knows you and that God loves you. God Almighty knows you, sees you, loves you, and in Christ accepts you. And it ought to humble us to know that we have Almighty God who has hemmed us in, who is going before us, who is coming behind us. And so therefore, the immediate response as I read this psalm and as I pray for God to work in my own heart is for me to say, I don't understand, God. These thoughts are too wonderful and too grand for me. It ought to humble us to be able to be called the children of God. Secondly, it ought to encourage us. Because God knows everything about you and there is nothing in your life that God does not know. So be encouraged, believer. Be encouraged that God sees and that he knows and that he cares for you. Be encouraged as you come through, as you, as you reflect on who he is and what he has done. Let it encourage you. And thirdly, it should motivate us. David says, do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? There are things in our culture and our world that are evil and that are against God. And we are his chosen means through which the hope, of, the hope of Jesus Christ is to go to the world. Do we believe that we're the church or do we not believe that we're the church? Do we believe that God has given us an assignment or do we not believe that God has given an assignment? Can I remind you of the day that is coming? Behold, the dwelling place of God is with men. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be so no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying or pain anymore for the former things have passed away. He said, and he who is seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down. For these these words are trustworthy and true. That's Christ speaking to his church. He says, I will one day come and I will make all things new. And these words are trustworthy and true. Church, if we believe that God will one day restore all things, that he will return, and that that is the hope of the world, then he has called us and moved us. That ought to motivate us to go out into action. To be moved and to be able to say, we can't just a lot, we can't sit here in indifference in our nice suburb and, and, and 17 miles outside of Minneapolis. But we have to pray individually to say, God, what does this mean for us? What does this look like for each of us individually? Because darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. And hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. And we are those who are children of light. And we are those who have experienced the love of Jesus Christ. And it is the call of the church to be light and to be hope. Because we are the only ones with the message that comes from his word. May God break our hearts for what breaks his heart. And may God use us to take one step for his glory, for his honor, as we trust him, as he holds us fast, as he goes before and hymns us in. There is no fear, friends, because we know how it ends. So may God use us. Let's pray. Father, we... we come to you challenged and... Father, we believe that you can use us. And I believe that you can use this church. And I believe that you've called us to be agents of love and hope in the world. And I believe that these things, because I read them in your word... And I don't know how to sort all these things out. And these, these problems in the world are far too complex for me in my simple mind. And yet, Father, I know that you are God and that you know all things, that you are all powerful, that you see all things, that you're always present. And so with those things, with, uh, with your people armed by the truth of your word, will you help us to go out and do good? Will you protect us from being indifferent? Will you protect us from growing weary and doing good? And will you help us to move out with a renewed sense of passion and motivation because of Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.